Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. An agreement has been reached on a New York State budget nearly one week after the deadline. As the Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports, the agreement includes changes to the state's bail laws, the renewal of a popular pandemic-era rule that allows restaurants to serve alcoholic drinks to go, and a temporary halt to the state's gas taxes. Governor Hochul announced the deal in the late afternoon on Thursday. The budget overall is $220 billion. It is balanced and it pairs a bold vision with a fiscally responsible approach. Very important to me. One of the reasons the budget talks went into overtime is due to prolonged discussions over changes to the state's 2019 criminal justice law reforms. Hochul in late March introduced a 10-point plan to amend the laws. In the end, legislative leaders who had resisted altering bail reform and other statutes agreed to make several gun-related crimes once again eligible for bail and to ease some of the timelines on the discovery laws. They require that prosecutors provide defendants with evidence against them. We believe that these common sense changes, again, we're not undoing bail reform, we're just saying where are some of the weaknesses? What can be bolstered? What offenses would people think should be covered? We added three gun offenses to be considered to be bail eligible that were not. The criminal justice changes are a win for Hochul. She was increasingly under pressure from political opponents, both Democrats and Republicans in the 2022 governor's race, to do something to curb the state's rising crime rates. Senate leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, who had argued that there's no evidence linking the criminal justice reforms to rising crime rates, says she's satisfied with the changes. It is a, a thoughtful package that reacts to not just just a, a narrative, but actually reacts to the need for people to feel safe and for us really to address the, the gun crime. Hochul says there's also agreement to amend what's known as Kendra's Law to make it easier for judges to refer mentally ill defendants to mandatory hospitalization or outpatient treatment. The agreement will also include funding for 1,000 additional psychiatric beds and mental health treatment. The governor agreed with lawmakers to spend $4 billion more in the budget on programs including expanded access to child care, although it stopped short of the universal child care plan backed by some in the legislature. Hochul says home health care workers will receive a $3 an hour wage increase. It's part of a multi-year, multi-billion dollar package to raise the pay of health care workers. A plan known as Coverage for All, which would provide government-subsidized health care to undocumented workers will be limited to those workers who are over the age of 65. The budget also includes the suspension of two of the state's taxes on gasoline from June 1st until the end of the year, worth 16 cents a gallon, to ease rising prices at the pump. Hochul says the spending plan also includes the continuation of a middle-class tax cut and a property tax rebate. This budget will put more money back in people's pockets. New Yorkers ordering takeout food will once again be allowed to also order alcoholic drinks. Liquor store owners who oppose the measure will get some concerns concessions, including being allowed to be open on Christmas Day. 
Lawmakers will also approve a deal Hochul struck with the NFL and owners of the Buffalo Bills football team to fund at least $850 million in expenses for building a new stadium in exchange for the team committing to play in Buffalo for another three decades. Critics say the agreement, which could reach $1 billion when other expenses are counted, is too big a taxpayer giveaway to a well-funded league and the billionaire team owners. Hochul defended the deal, saying some of it will be paid for from revenues from a settlement reached with the Seneca Indian Nation. There was a lot of passion. This is a regional priority for part of our state. Gaming companies will soon be able to bid on opening three downstate gambling casinos two years ahead of the original schedule. Also, voters will have a say in November on whether to approve a $4.2 billion environmental bond act that would help combat climate change. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Joining us now is Legislative Gazette Political Observer Alan Shartok. Alan, this is Kathy Hochul's first budget process as governor of New York, and the spending plan is late. How would you rate her performance during these negotiations? Jim, I would not, I would not uh, rate it highly. I mean, here is somebody who is one of the three people in the room who has to successfully bring this thing through, and she's going to be judged by that. So um, the judgment so far is if it's a late budget, you lose. And I think to some degree that is, uh, that is what is happening. It could portend an even worse situation, which is that they, uh, the two legislative leaders, both have a difference of opinion, or a couple of them, with the sitting governor who herself is acting but is going to be running for a full term. Up to now, she has been doing extremely well. But I think this budget negotiation is not redounding to her benefit. And therefore, this could spell uh, some disaster for her if she doesn't watch out and try to make sure that these negotiations are successfully completed. You mentioned the legislative leaders there. Democrats control both houses of the state legislature and the governor's office. Do you think the late budget overall hurts New York State Democrats come November? I would think so. The Democrats in the last go-round, last election, did not do well. They suffered some potential and real losses, especially on places like Long Island and in the suburbs. Right now, they want to put a stop to that disaster that they faced the last time by appearing to know what they are doing. And if, as usual, uh, the leaders of the Democratic Party are forming a circular firing squad, uh, it ain't good uh, for them. Uh, It doesn't give people confidence that they have put power into the hands of the people who know what they're doing. And I've talked to several Republicans on the air, and let me tell you, they're playing it for all it's worth. And now the budget isn't the final piece for the legislative session, but looking at the inner workings of having a late budget, what sort of tone does that set for the the remaining months of the legislative session? Well, Jim, let me tell you, um, in New York State, this budget means a great deal. Everything but the kitchen sink is thrown into it. Uh, And therefore, um, 
discussion about what comes next is always met with sort of a ho-hum from almost everybody. The budget is the name of the game. That's where the policies are set. That's where it goes. The governors of New York State have a huge influence uh, on the way the budget is uh, fashioned. And uh, now you have an untested governor who started out with a lot of people liking her uh, and saying good things about her, but now must be scratching their heads and saying, is she tough enough? You know, uh, a guy like Andrew Cuomo would walk into the room and he'd start yelling, I think, the minute he got there. Um, And it's one of the reasons people didn't like him. He was a bully. Now, in this particular case, Kathy Hochul has to demonstrate that she has the ability uh, to push her agenda. The Legislative Gazette's political observer, Alan Shartok. Alan, thank you. And thank you, as always, for stepping in when you're most needed. You're listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm Jim Lavoulis, in for David Gestina. When it was announced that an agreement had been reached to build a new stadium for the Buffalo Bills, remarks made by one local leader raised the eyebrows of fans of what the rest of the world calls football. WBFO's Michael Morosiak has more. What was announced was an agreement to build a stadium. Documents and approvals are still pending. They're due in September, and it won't be until months at the earliest when shovels go into the ground. But when Erie County Executive Mark Polenkars said this... Because it is going to be a multi-use stadium for outdoor sports, built for specifications of soccer as well. So hopefully we'll be able to hold some international friendlies here. It understandably gained the attention of the Western New York soccer community. You have an opportunity, hopefully, to uh, to kind of raise your hand and, and say, we'd like a shot here. You know, we'd like a chance to have a U.S. men's national team game or U.S. women's national team game or international friendly when Borussia Dortmund comes to the United States. Like these are, these are things that are... Are exciting. That's Nick Mendola, co-owner of FC Buffalo, which competes in the National Premier Soccer League. Mendola's club has welcomed two international clubs to Buffalo, English lower league side Bedlington Terriers and German club FC St. Pauli, and both matches drew thousands of fans to Buffalo's all-high stadium. U.S. national team supporters believe having a men's or women's international game in Orchard Park would draw thousands more fans who would spend on restaurants, hotels, and possibly other attractions outside of the game. Jeff Fabin is president of the Buffalo chapter of American Outlaws, a network of fans that follow the U.S. national teams. He points out that many American Outlaw members travel for national team matches, and he says if Buffalo played host, they'd come here too. It would definitely generate that type of revenue as well um, to, to bring you know outside folks into um, in, into Buffalo. Uh, for, you know, for example. U.S. just had a matchup in Canada, and um, Hamilton specifically, and uh, a lot of people from around the country, they, they came up, they stopped in Buffalo first, and, and were, were here for a little bit, and then drove up to the, the matchup in Hamilton. So if the game was actually in Buffalo, I, I would feel pretty confident saying that 
uh, a lot more people would be would come up for those matches around the country. Western New York soccer supporters suggest the time and location are right for Buffalo. The U.S. men's national team has just qualified for the World Cup being held later this year. The women's team are defending two-time World Cup champs and will soon begin their quest to defend that title at next year's Women's World Cup. Meanwhile, the men's and women's programs next door in Canada are on the rise. Mendola speaks of the prospects of hosting that rivalry in our own neighborhood. I think you circle the women's team first because the this rivalry is both teams' biggest one. Uh, it's been heated. There are every reason to to expect that that people would cross the border for it both ways. And um, as we just saw with the men, when the U.S. men played. Uh, Canada on Hamilton that was uh, sold out in a hurry and that's you know still in the hopefully back end of a pandemic so this this is a natural spot for that that rivalry to grow and as we've seen with Sabres Leafs games it's really no different. In the meantime Mandola's FC Buffalo holds their home opener at All High Stadium May 22nd while Fabin and his fellow American outlaws will be seen around town following the U.S. men's and women's teams either on TV at a local establishment or in person when possible. And all will continue to look ahead to 2026 and beyond hoping bigger matches will one day find their way to Buffalo. WBFO's Michael Morosiak reporting. Nearly 1.3 million New Yorkers were at least 60 days behind on their electric and gas bills last month. Together, they owe $1.7 billion. As WSKG's Jillian Forstat reports, advocates worry high gas prices will make it difficult to pay back that debt in time. Prices are up across all of New York's major utility companies. That's because providers like NYSEG charge residents for the cost of gas itself, as well as service delivery and fees. A spokesperson for the company says while NYSEG hasn't raised its delivery rates, the cost to supply gas is up. Customers' bills reflect that. But households are already further behind on their utility payments than they were pre-pandemic. NYSEG customers owed roughly $54 million as of March. That's nearly double what they owed in March 2020. The outcomes are going to come out right now, and they're going to come out in the next couple months, and it's going to be a catastrophe. Amber Johnson is a community organizer with the New York Energy Democracy Alliance. It advocates for equitable energy policies. Like many customers, Johnson's utility bills tripled this winter. But she adds the burden weighs significantly more on low-income households. Johnson worries those residents will face the first utility shutoffs if neither the state nor utility providers step in to relieve customer debt. The statewide moratorium on shutoffs expired last December. Come April 15th, cold weather protections will loosen, too. For the debt in general, like the, the, the including the COVID debt, I want to see NYSEG pay for it. A NYSEG spokesperson declined to comment on the potential for debt relief, but says the company offers customers flexible payment options. Under law, customers in New York must have at least 35 days from when their bill is due to come up with other options before utility providers can cut their power. Residents can call the Public Utility Law Project or their local legal aid service for assistance. WSKG's Jillian Forstat reporting.
You're listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm Jim Lavoulis, in for David Gustina. Lake Champlain faces the possible incursion of another invasive aquatic species. The round goby native to Eurasia entered the Great Lakes system in the 1990s and has been tracked spreading east through the Erie Canal system. The detection of the fish at the confluence of the Mohawk and Hudson Rivers last July has raised concerns that it could enter the Champlain Canal system and make its way into Lake Champlain. Lake Champlain Basin Program Aquatic Invasive Species Management Coordinator Meg Modley says response measures recently outlined by the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation and the Canal Corporation help to better understand the threat and any effort needed to contain the spread. Modley spoke with the Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley. Round Gobi for many years was closest to Lake Champlain to the north at the confluence of the Richelieu and the St. Lawrence Seaway. Um, it has remained north of the St. Lawrence Dam for a number of years, and we have not seen it move further um, upstream, but we are investing in early detection monitoring there to be able to say where and when it might be moving. Um, But the expansion of Round Gobi through the Erie Canal system happened over a few short years, and it moved through the entirety of the system to the confluence of the Mohawk and the Hudson. And that's what's really raised a lot of concern in the Lake Champlain community about possible impacts to our fishery and our economy and our everyday experience on the lake. Um, So in terms of um, the response efforts, we need to do all of those things at the same time. We need to do that education and outreach. And so the Lake Champlain Basin Program and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service are co-funding a new position at New York State DEC, which is an outreach specialist position that will work primarily along the canal corridor to educate anglers and community members and businesses about what round goby is, what it looks like. So how to identify it, how to report it, how to dispose of it properly. The early detection monitoring is also a step that the base program was able to tap our rapid response funds, and we have a contract with USGS New York to do that early detection monitoring in collaboration with New York State DEC and canals. The canals remain the largest, highest risk open pathway of the species introduction to Lake Champlain, but we're also really concerned about a bait bucket introduction, whether that is unintentional or intentional. The closer a viable population of round goby comes to Lake Champlain, the more likely that type of an introduction. So that outreach specialist position will be focused on making sure we have the right signage, the right messaging going out about round goby identification and reporting. There are a few proposed techniques to help prevent them from getting into the lock. I think the methods that have been proposed, the double draining and the limited lockage, are options that need to be further evaluated in terms of their efficacy. Um, They are steps that can be implemented quickly, like when they open the system, which is important. Um, But we're also going to look at other measures that have been taken in other systems throughout the country with other partners to see if there might be other opportunities to help prevent them from getting to Lake Champlain. One of the things that the DEC and the Canal Corporation talk about doing is sampling to determine the extent and where the round goby is. We know that they've been detected at the confluence of the rivers south of the Champlain Canal. Is there enough staff? Is there enough people to do the type of sampling to determine what they're talking about? You know, see how many round goby are in these waterways? 
early detection monitoring using environmental DNA and trawling. So the environmental DNA would be detecting some piece of a round goby, some sloughed off material in the water. Um, and it is a, a good way to try and sample a detection of like the frontier of expansion. It's going to be complemented by trawling. So netting and actually trying to collect specimens of round goby. And those specimens will also be tested for the VHS, that virus, that pathogen that we're worried about. You know, we are collaborating with DEC and canals. I think we've identified the key locations, the critical points where we need to know whether or not they're present. So whether that's certain increments between the huts and the Mohawk and the southern end of the Champlain Canal. And we have a few other factors. We also know that the Glens Falls feeder brings Hudson River water to the height of the Champlain Canal. So we'd want to test there. And then we'd want to test just downhill and north of that into the Champlain drainage and downhill and south of that into the Hudson drainage. We're also going to test in the southern end of Lake Champlain so that we can be more certain where it is that we think they might be. What's under development right now is a round goby specific response plan that would say, you know, if they're found in certain location, then there are the, you know, X options to implement. So I think that this is uh, unfolding every single day. Um, To date, we've been able to bring a, a number of resources to the table to ensure that we're taking the steps that we can to get the information that we need to make future decisions. There was a Citizens Advisory Committee virtual meeting. In that meeting, there was an effort to ask Governor Hochul to close the canal until we can figure out what's happening with the Round Gobi and prevent the Round Gobi from entering Lake Champlain. What happened after that meeting? Did that continue? And do you think that the action by the DEC and the Canal Corporation was in some way a response to that? Well, I think there have been a number of groups that have been um, requesting action, different types of action. Closing the canal, there are definitions here we need to be clear on. I think some people say close the canal and they think, oh, you don't open it, you don't use it, it's drained, you don't use it at all. One of the requests from, from a group was to close the southernmost lock on the canal system, which would still allow for recreational use and traffic, but not passage through that specific lock. You know, we want to work with the New York State DC and the Canal Corporation to maintain the viability of the system long term. Round Gobi is our issue of concern today. But if we do not get an all taxa barrier approach installed, um, we are going to be in this response mode in perpetuity, depending on what shows up. Well, it seems every couple years we're talking about a new invasive that's coming into Lake Champlain one way or another. It's not always via the Champlain Canal and the locks. With the Round Gobi, though, it seems like its advance kind of accelerated and is coming in a lot faster than originally anticipated. Is that the case? I think it moved through the Erie Canal system pretty quickly. And um, and unfortunately, now the Hudson system and the Mohawk system have to bear those impacts. Um, I think that there's been a lot of effort um, 
dedicated to looking at the system. And Governor Cuomo's Reimagine the Canal initiative did invest a lot of dollars into looking at revitalization, but also looking at the threat of interbasin transfer of invasive species. Um, so that uh, that infusion of resource and focus, as well as the arrival of round goby in the Mohawk and the Hudson, I think elevates the need to really continue to pursue as quickly as possible this all-taxa-barrier approach. Um, we've been looking at this for a few decades, and it's been a need. And what we know is that the canals are the, the pathway by which the greatest number of harmful invasives get into Lake Champlain, and we need to do something um, or we're going to continue to have introductions. Do you think that people may pay attention to the round goby a little bit more? The round goby is a fish that will compete with some of the established fish in the lake I think it's a bit of a, a worse actor, if you will. It has a number of additional impacts that have been documented in other ecosystems. So we've seen other canals close some locks to contain round goby and to think about other ways to prevent them from spreading and moving. We've seen impacts to um, the bash fishing season in other lakes due to round goby um, just because it carries viral hemorrhagic septicemia and can transfer it. There are a number of impacts here that I think are um, are hitting on a number of different interests. Based on what we've seen in the Great Lakes, if the round goby does get into Lake Champlain, how long will it be before we see the negative impacts? I don't know. It's a different ecosystem. Every lake is different. It's made up of different organisms, different plants, different rock and mud substrates, different water quality parameters. I don't know how quickly it will spread throughout the lake if it gets in um, or when we would expect to start seeing impacts. We do know in other systems it's taken only a few years for, you know, the benthic fish to be displaced or to impact, you know, the bass community. Bass get bigger, but eggs start disappearing. So we don't know the answer to the question, and we'd prefer not to find out. You know, I love Lake Champlain, and we hope that we can keep this round goby out. There are 51 known non-native and invasive species in Lake Champlain, and about a dozen cause measurable harm. The lake is connected by canalways to surrounding water systems, including the St. Lawrence Seaway, which has 87 invasive species, the Great Lakes, which have reported 188 invasives, and the Hudson River, which currently has 122 aquatic invasives. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. That about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. Copies are available by calling 1-800-323-9262. That number is 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2214. Or just listen at wamc.org. And join us again next week at the same time for more news on New York State government and politics 
For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Jim Lavoulis in for David Gustina.